from the Swiss Alps to the Canadian Rockies, celebrating unique connections between Switzerland and Canada. Brought to you by the Swiss representations in Canada. Welcome to the third season of the podcast series From the Alps to the Rockies. My name is Urs Obrist. I'm the Senior Science and Technology Counselor at the Embassy of Switzerland in Canada. It is my pleasure to welcome today the Volunteer Executive Director of GROW, a community food literacy center. Her name is Pamela Farrell. Pamela Farrell was born and raised in Zurich and has been living in Canada since 2001. She now lives in Niagara Falls, where she works as a teacher and has made herself a name as a staunch supporter of food literacy. She has launched a program that assists people in need with access to fresh, healthy and affordable food. So welcome, Pamela. It is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Urs. It's my pleasure to be here. Pam, uh, you have lived in Canada for just about 20 years now. Can you describe what brought you from Switzerland to Canada? Yes, so um, it would be my husband. My husband is uh, originally from Toronto, Canada, and uh, he was the reason I moved here. Um, we met in London, England, and then I came to visit uh, Toronto mainly a couple of times and um, eventually made my home here. Was there a special draw to Canada? Did you have an image of Canada before yeah, coming here for the first time? I was pretty naive. I did not know much about Canada before I came here. I just knew it was uh, part of North America. I wasn't aware of the vast um, land and the, the, the variety of, of landscapes here. Um, so I actually came first. Um, my husband now, back then, he invited me to come skiing in uh, in Ontario. And as you know, in Ontario, um, there are no mountains, not, not like BC. So he coaxed me over here with a promise of great skiing. And um, we were driving for hours and I asked him, where are the mountains? Where are the mountains? And uh, he said, oh, we're only 10 minutes away. And so we ended up at uh, Blue Mountain, which is not a mountain, but it, it's a nice ski resort, but not what I had expected um, to be skiing on. So it's a, uh, it, it, I did not know much about Canada before coming. I've certainly had the chance over the last 10 years to explore um, many areas in Canada from BC to Newfoundland. And um, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful country. Were there uh, any challenges uh, in getting settled in Canada? You know, at first it was, it was hard being away from my family and just some of the, the cultural differences uh, become very apparent uh, after you know that honeymoon period ends of, of being excited about living in a new country so it was a little difficult I had always been passionate about the, the English language so I didn't have that barrier at first uh, with the language but um, it was it was hard to to live in a big city when you don't really know a lot of people and you're not really familiar with the way things work and you went through the normal process of getting permanent residency Yes, so I actually um, first came under the Young Workers Exchange Program that Switzerland has with Canada, which um, I'm not sure if they still offer that, but it's definitely a really great program to, to experience a new culture, work in a different country, and, and live just like, like a Canadian. And um, so that was the first step for me. And then during that time, um, my husband and I got engaged and, and uh, I applied for permanent residency. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the youth mobility program is actually still in place uh, between Switzerland and Canada. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah I highly recommend all, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even all during the COVID times, it was still running. So it, it's definitely a fantastic program. Uh, now, having lived in Canada and, and being settled here, where, where do you see the main differences between the two countries? Well, besides the just the size difference, um, you know, Canada is, is a is a beautiful country with with um, so many different aspects from natural elements, but also uh, from a cultural diversity perspective. Especially uh, when we lived in Toronto, it has a very diverse population, a lot of different ethnic and uh, language groups, uh, which is very different from where I grew up in in Switzerland. I would say it has. Um, it has allowed me to, to kind of pursue things that I don't think I would have pursued in, in Switzerland. For example, my education, um, starting this charity, I don't think um, necessarily I would have done that maybe in Switzerland. Uh, from a social program perspective, I think Canada has a lot to learn from Switzerland. And maybe we'll get into that a little bit later too, but the social assistance programs here in Canada are not set up for uh, allowing people to get out of them, uh, but remain in this kind of cycle of poverty. Whereas in Switzerland, it's more of a way to, it's a temporary solution to, to provide people with a, with, you know, with tools to, to get out of poverty, essentially. And you, you mentioned the educational program that you uh, pursued both in Switzerland and here in Canada. And just having glanced at your CV, there, there's definitely a notion that you did not follow a standard uh, academic uh, career. Can you describe your, your pathway uh, when it comes to absolutely. education? Yeah, absolutely. So in Switzerland, I completed the, um, the business school, the Kaufmännische Angestellte. It's a three-year um, apprenticeship program. And I was never, I was never really destined for, for university based on my grades and in, in high school. And I never really thought about um, going to, going to university. So for me, I think that, that passion, that readiness for me to go to higher education only um, started here when I moved to Canada and maybe it had to do with my maturity level or with my interest in learning, but um, I was able to, to take some courses after I came here and um, as part of my role back then working at Ernst Young Canada uh, in adult, uh, adult education. And this kind of, you know, the more I learned and, and the, more, the more I learned about adult education and the more I learned about myself as a learner. And this just kind of fueled my desire to, to keep on going. So uh, after completing that, I signed up to um, complete my Bachelor of Arts uh, through distance education uh, with uh, exams taking place at the University of Toronto. And then from there, just uh, continued on uh, with the Bachelor of Education, which is a teacher certification here in, uh, in Canada. Um, signed right, continued right on. I didn't take a break, completed my master's in education and um, then took a break to raise my, my two boys. Uh, and in 2018, I, um, I started my doctor of education at the University of Calgary. So it has not been a straightforward process for me and it's taken me many years to get where I am. But it just goes to show that um, there's different ways to go about it. And sometimes I find, especially looking back to my schooling in Switzerland, that it was somewhat restricted 
that once you were on a path, it was hard to to break away from that path. And but it has given me that, you know, I think a really good education that has allowed me then to work here in Canada um, at that same employer at Ernst and Young, and then from there. So it was a really good stepping stone for me. Mm -hmm. And your, your passion for learning, it definitely comes across, uh, probably also led to your uh, current role as the volunteer CEO of a community food literacy center. It's called GROW. Uh, can you describe what GROW is, how it came about, and what your motivations are or were to establish it? Yeah, so GROW is um, a community-based organization that aims to provide good food for all. So I've touched upon uh, some of the social inequalities that exist here in Canada um, and, and really all around the world, essentially, but that people with low incomes do not have the means to access fresh produce at affordable prices. And so GROW really, first, first and foremost, provides a, week, a weekly low-cost market to people that are living on low incomes, where you can shop for uh, vegetables, uh, fruit, meats, and dairy items. Um, and then also we try to be, so food literacy, I have to explain food literacy in my sense, and this is the topic that I, um, my dissertation is on for my doctoral studies. I'm taking the stance of a critical food literacy approach. So often when people think about food literacy, they think of um, being able to cook or being able to read a nutrition label. So very basic um, concepts. Uh, from a critical literacy perspective, we also look at some of the, the contextual influences. So for example, where people live, what kind of access they have, um, what their income levels are, what other barriers exist within their communities or within society that will prevent them from acting on their food literacies. So many of the people that come to grow know how to cook, they know what's healthy for them, they have uh, rich backgrounds in in food grow in growing food or preparing food, but they don't have the financial means to uh, to afford the foods that they want. So, uh, Grow really aims to not only provide access to good food, but change some of those uh, change some of those barriers that exist through advocacy, education. Um, you know, we're connecting. We've uh, always connect with our provincial government, uh, with our federal government to make sure that we can push some of those systemic barriers that exist. Um, so, so in other words, GROW is more than just a food bank? Yes, absolutely. So we're, uh, we're not a food bank because the concept of food banks really is uh, emergency food. So this is a food banks are were meant to be just for this, you know, a short time, short time period to to access foods. And often, uh, you can only go to a food bank um, maybe once a month or every two weeks. So it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be sustainable. So we provide weekly access, and we provide um, a variety of access because often food banks are restricted to non-perishables and do not offer a wide variety of culturally appropriate choices. So especially newcomers that are here in Canada and don't have the means to go to a grocery store um, are very restricted by the selections that food banks offer. So we try to have, you know, see what's represented in our communities and try to offer those dairy choices. For example, non-dairy products, so lactose-free milk, almond milk, meat alternatives, and 
specifically for our population that we serve, there's a, there's a high, um, many members are diabetic. So we have to make some choices around, around those needs as well. Mm -hmm. You have, uh, when I read up about GROW, I, I read that uh, the area where GROW is located is a food desert. Now, in a country like Canada, this might be coming as somewhat as a surprise to hear this terminology. Can you briefly explain what it actually means? What is a food desert? Yeah, food deserts are areas within, within a city that do not have access to an affordable food market. So they're usually located in low socioeconomic neighborhoods. And they would, I think the limitation is some of the research shows it's about two kilometers. So people should be able to walk within a two kilometer radius to access um, an affordable food market. And so, as you said, it's ironic, especially here in the Niagara region, which is very well known for uh, tender fruit um, production, that we have pockets here that um, do not have uh, an affordable grocery market. And the other ironic thing is that within the neighborhood where Grow is located, we have um, a beer store and we have a liquor store. And as you know, in, in Ontario, the liquor stores are government run. And it's, it's interesting that we, you know, the government provides access to liquor, but obviously is not in, in the business of providing um, fresh produce. Uh, we also have uh, three cannabis dispensaries um, that was before it became, you know, really widespread, but when they were government granted. So it, it's, um, it's a real paradox. Mm -hmm. um, you, you have mentioned the involvement of government. Do, do you actually receive uh, subsidies from federal or provincial governments for your project? I know. So at this time, we don't receive any government funding. Most of our support comes from community organizations. Um, we have many community partners that help us um, and private donors as well. Mm -hmm. Is there an idea that this uh, could reach, let's say, your municipal government uh, and have them support your, your idea or the conversations in that regard? Or is that not so much of an idea? No, absolutely. And we have, uh, we've met with the mayor of the city of Niagara Falls uh, a couple of times and um, there's no direct funding from the city because uh, they are not, um, they're pushing the responsibility onto the region. Uh, we have not been successful with any regional grants, um, but we did receive some uh, funding through the a special fundraiser that the city does in conjunction with uh, Tourism Niagara. So we were successful with some support there. Um, we did in the past, in the first round of COVID relief from the government, we did receive some funding from the government of Canada last year. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the food insecurity has, has been increased in, in the context of COVID? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely it has, um, especially with Niagara Falls being um, you know, a huge tourist destination, uh, majority of uh, employees are within that sector. So when everything shut down um, and no one was, was able to work. So we did see many people reach out from that area where they just lost their job and there was a lot of uncertainty as to what was happening. Um, and that definitely has increased. And the, the customer base that you have, um, how large is it? And do they visit both you and food banks or is there some limitations to who can come and see you? Um, there is, uh, we currently serve about 500 uh, people. 
so another thing I wanted to mention was that uh, according to research out of actually University of Toronto was that there's only about 25% of food insecure people will access food banks. So that's another reason why GROW was established to kind of fill that, that gap. Um, there's a lot of stigma attached to going to food banks. Um, so we were trying to make a center where, you know, that some of that stigma, stigma could be removed. Um, and it also, what we've heard from our members, and I don't know if you had a chance to look at our video, but members are provided with, with, with a sense of dignity when they pay for the groceries, when they have that choice to, to buy whatever they want, if it's one carrot or 10 carrots. So I think that's a really big aspect of, of our model is that there's a sense of dignity, there's a sense of, of ownership. That's why we don't call our, <clears throat> our members clients, we call them members because it's a community-based organization. And so absolutely they can, they can still go to the food bank. There's, uh, there's no restriction in that sense. And again, we're, we're two different programs, emergency uh, support and something that is a little bit more sustainable and a little bit more comprehensive. Mm -hmm. Now, do you see yourself an, as an addition to, to other programs like, um, you know, those shared food tables where organizations collect food from restaurants and then distribute it into uh, community centers as well? Uh, how does that pair up with these kinds of organizations? Do they exist around Niagara Falls or is that uh, not um, even yes. existing there? Yeah, we have, um, we have numerous food programs here in the region from, you know, uh, church-based uh, programs that offer emergency food programming um, to a soup kitchen that actually operates not too far from us. Um, there's definitely a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot, but there are many programs available and depending where you live, uh, you might have uh, easier access to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the access in and of itself is a challenge, right? That, that's what you perceive as well. Yeah, absolutely. So getting, especially also getting to a food bank, um, there's, you know, usually there's one food bank per municipality because that's how they're funded through um, the government. So, um, it's difficult, especially if you don't have access to a car, it's hard to get around. And that's another thing that's, you know, I always think back fondly of Switzerland is the, the amazing public transport system and everything's connected with buses and trains and, and boats. And, um, and it's, it's really different here, um, uh, especially in the Niagara region where um, it, takes, it takes a really long time to get from one place to another if you don't have access to a car. Mm -hmm. And, and the fixed store or grocery store um, concept, uh, that's something that was kind of overcome in Switzerland with a different model, right? Like yeah, in the old days. What do you mean? Uh, like the, the micro uh, store that, that drove around towns. Yes, the, the micro bus. Yeah, that's something <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's a memory that stuck with me of the micro bus coming to... Um, to our neighborhood and, and all the moms and kids waiting and, and lining up and then cashing out with the bus driver. I thought, you know, looking back now, I thought that that's a really, um, really neat concept of bringing fresh food to communities that don't have access to, to a regular uh, fixed store. So that's something that, that I- Would that be a model for Canada? Well, I, I think it would make sense. I, especially, you know, we have, we've received so many calls from other areas in the city who said, oh, this would be great in our neighborhood. This would be really great here or there. And, 
And instead of having a fixed store, it would make more sense to, to drive a bus, just the way the micro bus was set up, where you have, you know, everything. It's not just limited to, I mean, there's mobile markets, um, but it's limited to produce and it's limited to, you know, the summer months. And then once winter hits, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So a micro bus uh, would be my one of my personal dreams to be able to to have a micro bus here and uh, and um, support other communities within the region. Mm-hmm. And speaking of other communities, um, do you think your your setup could be uh, transferred to other areas in Canada? From from what I understand, there's obviously a lot of personal investment. You mentioned your own kind of drive coming out of your studies in uh, food literacy and, and the background or the aspects uh, that kind of formed your educational interests that you now can confer into your work for this organization. So given that, do you think your uh, project can be transferred to other areas of Canada? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. One of the other aspects that prompted me to start Grow was when I came across um, Community Food Centers Canada, which is a national organization. Um, and that really opened my eyes to different ways of, of food charity. So providing this kind of uh, more dignified access to, to food for people who are on low income. So these centers exist all across Canada already. Uh, we've just taken it a little bit further by offering um, your, you know, meats and dairy and, and also um, the food literacy aspect and, and providing people with, with a voice in their community as to as to what they would like to see. So through advocacy and, and education. So absolutely it's possible. I mean, it doesn't have to be to this extent, but even a small market, um, I think would make a big difference in, in, in any community. Mm-hmm. If uh, people are following this podcast, would be interested to, to hear more about your, your project or would like to get involved, uh, where could they look up the information? Yeah, all of our information can be found on our website. Uh, which is growcflc.com. So CFLC stands for Community Food Literacy Center. Um, and you can uh, contact us through that website as well. Great. Well, Pam, it has been a great pleasure uh, to talk to you. I wish your project future success. Obviously, your studies, uh, a final successful dissertation conclusion as well. And hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Earth. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you.